Okay. Um, so I am going to try to somewhat have a pattern um, where we look at, we, we at least bring something from the book, something from creeds and confessions, and, um, and then something from the text. Um, I'm going to try to be committed to stay in focus to the text. Um, I don't ever want us to be a, a, a people that get away from scripture and into a book or something like that. Um, so the, so y'all hold me accountable to that, that we keep, you know, the text as primary as possible and that we don't get too, too astray by that with books or with confessions and creeds. Um, I just wanted to say, let me see, I'm going to share my screen real quick, um, for just a moment. Um, but I, I just want to say, let's see, this is that one. Let me get two here as far as the confessions and creeds as me I, I went through the heidelberg catechism and i went through the westminster catechism which i don't know is 100 129 and 109 questions or something but one thing that going through that that i i liked was um the question and answer i think me personally as a teacher i don't ask enough questions and allow for enough answers in that 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 discussion that conversation back and forth um, sometimes I do that because I'm not quick on my feet. And so sometimes I don't answer questions well. And so I feel a little more comfortable with, with some kind of, you know, momentum structure or something like that. So that's, that's my style, but in discipleship and uh, discipleship, which you do care about, I realize giving people the chance, asking people questions, giving them the chance to answer and um, being aware of where they're at and dealing with where they're at and not where you, you know, just, when they answer the question, there's a calibration of where they're actually at. And you're dealing with that instead of uh, where you think they're at or where you're hoping they're at or suggesting or whatever. So I do like the systematic question and answer. I know Jeff has mentioned a couple of times he likes an outline to prepare his heart and to have a game plan. So that's difficult for me. I'll, I'll continue to try to do that as best I can. But what I just wanted to say is years ago, me, Jeff and Jason Carr got together and we went through a, um, teaching that david platt did through um first corinthians and the the framework he used was a five-point idea where here in the heidelberg catechism there's a three-point um, um idea but i just wanted to lay this out as far as a, a overview of confessions and creeds and what they're trying to accomplish is um right here in the heidelberg catechism it, it says the language It's a little bit old language, but it says of the misery of man, of the deliverance of man's deliverance and of thankfulness. And that's the three main subsections of the Heidelberg um, catechism. So questions three to 11 is on the misery. Um, 12 to 85 is on man's deliverance and 86 to 129 is on his thankfulness. My point of that is what we're going to talk about today um, looking at Adam and total depravity, um, Spurgeon gives a, a, um, a picture that we'll look at the first part where he talks about when someone is going to share diamonds, they put a, um, they put a, um, a black velvet backdrop down so that it'll, it'll make the sparkle of the diamonds happy, uh, not happy, but look, look more glorious, more lush, luster, luster, lustrous, I guess. Um, and so, um, I know Ray Comfort used this. I'll put that in a text, but Ray Comfort used whether he would say the law or whatever, but he, he said, we got to tell people the bad news before we tell the good news. So I told you going into this text, 
how much it uses the word sin and death, and that Paul is not using that to um, shame people, but to put a backdrop to show how glorious and how mighty, um, you know, God's grace and his free gift is. Um, and we fail to do that sometimes, you know, in our modern day. Um, the, the, the series that, that me, Jason, and, um, and Jeff went through, they added two things, and I just want to keep that in your mind, um, was the holiness of God and then heaven, which gave a five-point overall picture versus a three-point. Um, so what we're dealing with when we're dealing with the misery of man is how bad is our condition? G and then the deliverance is Jesus is the only way in the solution. And then thankfulness deals with um, sanctification, how we're being conformed in the image of Christ and how we're living. Um, you know, as a Christian life, you sort of spiritually in your inner man have a peace, but then on the outer man, because of the peace you have in Christ, you're not at peace with the world. And so peace is kind of a relative term. Some preachers pre preach about having peace and they're preaching prosperity and success of that nature. But in the Christian faith, you can be completely poor and turn around and have all the peace in the world. So I'm going to stop that with our, our confession idea. And then um, I'll, I'll read this first little part. Um, it's the section, I think it's chapter three in the Spurgeon book, um, but it's uh, it's on his view on total depravity, but I'll, I'll just read this first paragraph. I don't know how well you guys can see this, but like I said, I'll send you a copy as, as soon as I can. Um, it's It says this, first Spurgeon affirmed the foundational doctrine of total depravity, sometimes called radical corruption. He clearly understood that before an evangelist can communicate the good news of salvation, he first must convey the bad news of condemnation. The black velvet drop of man's sin must be laid out before the sparkling diamond of God's sovereign grace can be seen in its dazzling luster. This begins the Bible teaching of Adam's sin, which brought about the death Spurgeon asserted. And what I did is I broke this down so you'll see it when I send it to you. Uh, with bold letters, but listen to what he, he, how he broke down what happened when Adam sinned. He said, in the day that Adam did eat that fruit, his soul died. That's the first thing. The next thing he addresses is his imagination lost his mighty power to climb into the celestial things and see heaven. Then he goes on to say, his will lost his power always to choose good, that which is to choose that which is good. His judgment lost all ability to judge between right and wrong decidedly and infallibly through something was retained in conscience. His memory became tainted, liable to hold evil things and let righteous things glide away. I, I like that phrase, that it was liable to hold e evil things and let righteous things glide away. Every power of him ceased as to its mortal vitality. So he's painting the picture of, of, of the depravity of the radical corruption that's happened to him as a, as a person. And he says, goodness was the vitality of his powers. They departed virtue, holiness, and integrity. These were the life of man. But when they departed, man became dead. And then this last statement, he says, he says, but Adam, because this is a second part, what happened to Adam and how does that affect us? And he said, but Adam's sin did not affect 
only himself. I did recognize here that I apparently used the wrong effect when I when I write. I would have used the E effect right there. I don't know if any of you grammar people know <laughs> the rule between affect and effect, you know. Um, but he said, but Adam's sin did not affect only himself. His fallen nature spread to the entire human race and every part of every person is fatally played by spiritual death. Spurgeon wrote, as the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly, it, it is so sadly there, so abundant there, that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. This little part about deception here kind of stood out to me because I believe um, we have this walking zombie kind of, at, you know, thing that we deal with. If we would call it a, a challenge to, you know, to evangelism, discipleship in 2020, um, there's this sort of way I describe being deceived and this zombie deal is that we get so comfortable in the world that we just kind of walk like a, like a walking dead person, like we're sleepwalking a zombie type of thing. But, but I think this is an issue that even as Christians that have been a Christian for a while, for us to come back and refocus that what happened at Adam, our sin nature and, and being familiar with that is important for that black backdrop of us really seeing God's grace for as, as good as it is and how much it actually accomplishes because this he's saying that if you cannot detect that you have a sin nature that you are deceived he goes on to say he added the this is just another picture the venom of sin is in the very fountain of our being it has poisoned our heart it is in the very marrow of our bones and it is as natural to us as anything that belongs to us he, he believed that the entire person, mind, affections, and will is polluted and poisoned by original sin. The result, he said, is that a very hell of corruption lies within the best of saints. There was a, a, a catechism that or a, um, a creed or something that I read that said that like, like a lot of times in our sanctification, we kind of have this, I once was blind, but now I see, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And we just feel like we've kind of arrived so much. And I think it was talking about works and it, you know, you remember when Jesus said that, um, how did he say it? He said, John the Baptist, that, that no other man is like John the Baptist and he exalted him to a high level, but he said, even the least of heaven is better than John the Baptist. I believe how that, that's how that worded, but what they were speaking to is that a lot of times we have, even, even when we come from such a terrible place as the center that we were, and we get a lot better, and we maybe do better at our job or with our wife and our kids and stuff, that they said that that is only just a glimmer of the righteousness that God is looking to work out through you. So I thought that was a good statement that would keep you humble, because I, th I think we, we compare ourselves to others sometimes, and we, and we um, have some spiritual pride that comes in there. Um, and then I, I guess the last little paragraph here, Spurgeon recognized that sin lives deep within the souls of every, of the best of men, the inward corruption makes every man a savage beast that there's no beast or wolf or lion or serpent that is as brutish as the beast of man. All people are spiritually dead, unable to see desire and respond to the gospel message. So 
I'll leave with that. We'll jump into to, to Romans. Um, I'm sure you all guys got a Bible, so let me stop this. Um, hey, Dennis, real quick. Can you uh, – oh, you, you just shut it off. I was going to – What you want? That, that part where uh, you were going up uh, what Spurgeon said in the very beginning about uh, how sin affects everything. It affects – yeah, there it is. It affects his imagination – his will, his judgment, even his memory, everything. I thought that that's, that's a good way of describing uh, what they mean by total depravity. Um, because I've always said that, you know, total depravity is, is you're, you're corrupt to the core, uh, but it, it predominantly affects your will. Like you have no will um, other than in a will that's in bondage. But to, to see how they laid it out there, how it affects your memory, your imagination, your just everything. Um, it, it, it paints a fuller picture of how sin just hits every facet of our being. Yeah. So that's the negative, the part you pointed out. But if you look here where it says goodness was the vitality of his powers that departed. And he's saying here that man that before the fall, he had a virtue, holiness and integrity. These were the life of man, but when these departed, man became dead. So it's, it's talking about the positive or the righteousness that left, and it's, and it's spelling out the negative that was, was inherited. So uh, like I said, that's a good reference. If you guys this week want to ponder that a little bit, I'll, I'll send it as soon as we get off. Um, yeah, good, good highlight. Thank you for that. Um, any other thoughts before we move on? Um, any general thoughts on that? Questions? Not all at once. <laughs> all right. Well, let's see. So we're, we're moving along quickly. So what, let me let me jump in the um, in the text. Let me see where I'm at here. Let's see here. Let's look at this. Um, I had it on my Bible here. All right, got it. Just trying to find. I got so many screens. I got to figure out which one I was looking at here. So, um, all right. So in five twelve, and and I wanted to do. Um, like I said, I apologize that I didn't uh, frame up everything a little bit better. But I, what I wanted to do, I was I was listen, listening to. Um, I was doing a little praying before, and I was listening to. Um, see, I always want to say Zach Zach Williams Brown, but. Zach is it Zach, Zach Williams is a Christian guy, but um, but he was um, one of his songs was just singing about um, about being redeemed and stuff. And I, and I thought about it as we're at this point starting this year out and trying to fundamentally look at the challenges between you know with evangelism and discipleship. I um, I think we need to remember to highlight every once in a while as we're reading and as we're studying. Um, God's scripture, uh, the word, what, what God has done for us. I think we can be, we can get so um, used to, to church and to the word and, and to, you know, salvation that we forget um, what he's done for us. So I, I was just looking prior to what we're reading here in five, in five twelve in verse six of Romans, it says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps 
for a good person, one would dare even die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then it goes on to say, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's worth pondering, pondering. I mean, it goes on to say, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we have been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? So he's, he's saying, you know, that the death is accomplished in a certain thing and, and his life, his resurrection is accomplished in a certain thing. And he says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord G G Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So um, I think it's important as we're preparing our hearts, as we read in God's word, as we're studying for direction, that we we just take a moment to, to, to kind of shout and worship um, those, those verses that stand out to us that clearly says we are the luckiest people on the planet for what God is, what God has done. And it's this idea that we're trying to look at. We've got to talk about the bad news before we can talk about the good news. And so much of modern day evangelism and discipleship today is so worried about offending people that they actually never lay out the bad news. I mean, when you go get life insurance, they tell you the bad news you know, chances are you're going to die and you're going to have a lot of bills. And, and they say, but the good news is, is if you give me such and such a month, we're going to take care of you. Hopefully, huh? Um, so verse 12, this one is going to be broken into three parts, but verses 12 through 14 just says that this, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So um, let me see. I, I have some questions I wrote here. So let's see. Um, so quick questions. How did sin come into the world? Let someone answer that. Through Adam's disobedience. And then what was the result of sin? Yeah. And how do we... Oh, man. Yeah. And how yeah. do we know every last person was infected? Because of... Because of... Because of... No, every every person dies. It's a constant reminder. Right, right. Um, so what what does the law do about sin? He addresses that a little bit. I know that's just the introduction, but what what does the law do about sin when the law is is presented? How does that? It reveals it. Yeah. And I put holds it accountable. So it, it, be, it begins to stop, you know, just letting it slide, so to speak. Um, if there is no law, does that free us from the results of sin? No. And no, I, even, I would say no. Good. So that scripture is kind of hard to read through. <laughs> 
And um, so, so what is the point that he's making when he talks about, um, like in verse 14, it says, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. He's, he's defining a time from creation of man to Moses, Mount Sinai, with the, where the law, the Ten Commandments was given. So, so what, what is his point there by laying out that time frame? I think it's an excellent point, you know, that shows that even though the the standard, which we'll say is the law, right, what what um, held people accountable to to their sin, even though that had not been fully given yet, death was still occurring, which which proves that death had been spread to all men um, because of the sin of Adam. So even though there wasn't a, a standard or a, a a letter of the law that people could be held accountable against the, the death was still being spread because um, the sin of Adam and, and that bloodline had been passed to, to everyone thereafter. Yeah. And somewhere in one of Paul's letters, he talks about, you know, before the law revealed, I think he said, I think it was envy. Um, yeah. That's in seven. We'll get to that. Right. And he said, I, I, I didn't even know I was, envying but he never said he never says um that he wasn't still in sin at that point he just wasn't aware that he was in sin so when it talks about that like the part at the beginning when you put from the book at Spurgeon wrote how just all the memory and you know everything was kind of wiped out you know of, of what mankind was without sin so I don't think it ever I don't think it, it uh not having the law meant that you weren't sinning you just weren't aware that you were sinning it brought it to our attention that what we truly are the wretchedness and deceitfulness of what we really are yeah and like that Spurgeon like Jeff pointed out the negative and I point out the positive so you could recognize even though the law wasn't there that that you know that your will changed that that the certain things that you know so um all right so um, and then just the last question on that, that little section was, why was Adam's transgression so important? What does it mean? Or what does it mean that he is a type? That last verse where it says he was a type of the one who was to come. Yeah, that's a, that's a deep question. You know, I mean, obviously we know that, um, that, if, if he's the father, let's just call him the father of our flesh. If you want to call it that way, you know, that every, uh, uh, the sin that we have is, is a result of, of, um, what's been passed down to us from what Adam has done. So, so as death came through him and, and Jesus is referred to the second Adam and life would come, come through the savior, you know, so one, one man calls, um, a lot of the problem, let's just say all the problems that we're, we're dealing with. Um, and then um, the second man or the second Adam would come to fix that or reconcile us back, bridge us back to the, to the father. All right. Yeah, I saw that too, is that, that they're a type. They're the same type in the sense that they have effect over all men by, by their one action. Yeah. 
So, you know, in the last two years, we're in 2022, and it's the second year, essentially, of COVID. But if you think about it as a virus, um, you know, whether it came from China or whoever is ultimately responsible, but if you look at it that way, one guy, um, because of his playing around in a lab or whatever have you, brings a virus and it affects the whole world. And so then we look for a vaccine or a cure or whatever, and that is ultimately Christ. And so that's kind of a, a decent example of the contrast, you know, that we have that, um, you know, even if you in your house, if you're sick with some kind of deadly virus, you would quarantine, you know, as Jeff was saying with his clients, I mean, his, his workers, because you don't want to get your family, you know, sick, you don't want to spread that, you know, alone. But what if, if in your virus that you get contagious, whatever you have, there is no cure for it, you know? And so that's the desperateness that we're looking at is that we have a certain virus that has affected all the positive things about us that we're just spewing out negative. We're contagious to everybody we see and we're looking, you know, for a cure. And just as we've struggled, I mean, Jeff spoke just recently, I mean, just this morning about we've come up with a vaccine, but yet it's not making it go away. Um, and so we have a lot of things in our life that we try to deal with our sin that doesn't really work. But thanks, thanks be to God that we have a savior that fixes this just, just right, just perfectly. Um, hey Dennis, I was just going to, when you were talking about that, I was thinking, you know, one of my favorite Bible passages is Numbers 21, where uh, the people of God were grumbling and complaining, and that was that was sin in the eyes of God, and he sent snakes among them to to um, punish them in a sense, you know, and everyone who was bit bitten died unless unless they they took the right vaccine, right? God's God's vaccine, which was um the plan he gave Moses was to, to put a serpent, a bronze serpent on a pole and everyone who looked at it uh, would live. I mean, it, and I'm, I'm a hundred percent convinced that everybody that looked at it truly, truly lived, you know, um, that, that they, they um, believed in God's solution to the problem. And, and it's, it's just a, it's a pretty picture or a beautiful picture of, uh, you know, and, and for me, part of my story is as, as a new Christian, I was reading through John. And when I ran across as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. I, let me tell you, I had zero idea what that meant. And that was the first personal Bible study that I ever did. And I looked back to see what in the heck that even meant. And when I read that story of Romans 21 and, and how, what a beautiful picture it was, of a, a type of, of Christ in the Old Testament, that that just um, man brought so much clarity uh, to my life, you know. But as as we talk about sin and its effect, it's very similar to what the children of Israel were dealing with with this these venomous snakes that were um, were in their camp. Yeah, we're good. Um, I was going to say, oh, one other thing I wanted to point before we move past that tight part. Is so there is a thought, and 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 some of you may have had this, and maybe until you ask your question, you won't realize you you have this or not. But what what I believe the Bible is clear about, and if it is, we need to to anchor that into our heart so that we're not um, um, 
playing games with with the the reality of what scripture reveals um if it actually reveals it but what happens is what some people think when they see adam and eve sinning they believe sort of that they were born in innocence just like adam and eve was and that not until their first sin um did they actually become a sinner um so they would kind of have a thought to some degree that that if if you had a child and he was free of sin and you taught him you know real seriously look don't be like me and sin you do the right thing you be different that in some sense they could be like christ that if they would steward that right they could still be right because they would have come into the world with a clean slate and um and that's not really the case we are born with original sin a fallen will a sin nature however you want to look at it we have the virus when we come in um you know when we talk about babies and how they can be selfish like they got the the secular world has an idea that that we don't that we teach hate no we're naturally haters from the get-go we teach love if anything are we are cured by Christ to love, but we don't teach, you know, and, and that's the idea is that's the, that's the gospel or the salvation message of the world is to teach love. And we'll deal with that at some point about the will and, and how what has happened is Adam has shattered and destroyed the will, but we believe, some believe that our problem is we're uneducated. That if we get that we're basically like that's Joel Olstein will say this kind of stuff. He'll say we're basically good people, like everybody. We're basically mean. Well, we don't want to do wrong. We're basically good people, which would be kind of like saying we're not selfish and we actually care about others more than ourselves, which is completely not true. Um, but 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 that we just need better instructions. And the answer, the vaccine, so to speak, is not better instructions. It's we need a supernatural injection from heaven um, to cure our wickedness. Um, so anyway, the um, the next verse um, or the next section there is 15, 15 to 17. It says, but the free gift is not like the trespass for it. If many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of the grace and free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So I think I just had two questions here. Um, what did judgment, um, what, what did the judgment following the one man's trespass bring? It was just one big word. It brought condemnation. And then, and then the opposite, the free gift brought what? And it, Justification. And then the, the other, why does death reign 
in a person's life. And that don't have to necessarily be the, the text. Some of you know, know this, but, but, but just why does death reign in a person's life? We'll put Jeff on the spot. You got to answer, Jeff? Are you busy? It's outside because of sin, right? Right. It just comes back to what we're, we're talking about this morning because Adam's sin and the fallen nature. Um, and so, but, but, but essentially what's saying in the text, the one man sins. Um, and so, you know, I would say when we're looking at evangelism in 2022, I think that's something we should be clear about. Why does death reign? And then the, the alternative question is by what means can righteousness reign, reign um, in one's life? So when we're looking at evangelism in 2022, the bad news is, is we got to have some clarity on why does death reign? What's the problem? You know, we look at our own COVID thing, you know, you know, our global warming, our civil unrest. I feel like at the fundamental part, we have leaders that are that are misdiagnosing what the problem is. And they're not asking the question, why is death reigning? Why is people looting buildings? Do they just want TVs with, you know, like it's the dumbest thing when there's a flood and there's no power and people are still in TVs, <laughs> you know? You know, what are they going to do with that? You know, I mean, I guess they're looking at, they're planning for the future. One day power is going to come back, but it's just the dumbest thing. But, 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 but why, what is the problem? What is the root of the problem? And when we look back to what Spurgeon said, the problem is something is happening. We are infected with something and we need, you know, my wife, I've shared this with you before. And, um, and hopefully we'll talk about this this, this year, we'll, we'll talk about the spiritual nature of being connected to the body of Christ. But when you become a believer and the righteousness of Christ, the life of Christ, the resurrected life is put in you and you become a new creation, there are some things that, that, that just happen that you can't explain. We was talking about the other day in the Apostles' Creed, it over and over again says, I believe in the Father, I believe in the Son, I believe, you know, but explain the Trinity for me. You know, sometimes there are some things that God puts in you that you know that are life and and um and and that righteousness is reigning, and you're confessing this belief. As far as me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You're confessing this, but you can't always give a great explanation of it. But you know it's true, and you know you can't deny it. And and so, but my wife said this, and and it, it was one of those spiritual things that I think is so true of the believer. And she said, I'm not easily impressed. And when you become a believer, God opens you up to that this is not your home and that that there's more to this life, that this is just a, a passing, you know, passing through spot. And so this world stops having as much of a hold on you. But what happens is you are surrounded by people that are making decisions that this is all they got is this life. And and um and they are, in one sense, easily impressed. They're easily impressed. They're satisfied or gratified by the things of this world. 
but we are separated about that because God shows us he's got something greater for the, us than what this life, you know, has to offer. And so th there's something about the gospel working in our life is that we, co we come from a, a, a state, state of death reigning and us being in bondage to that, to we actually have a freedom within inside of us that there's a, there's a better future, you know, coming. I guess I'd gone on a tangent of that. So any thoughts on that about death reigning or life reigning? I got, I got a question, I, I guess, just for the group or to you, Dennis. But so when, when we talk about death, are we talk, talking about physical death? Are we talking about spiritual death? Are we talking about both? Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it, you know, if you just take Adam's example, you're talking about spiritual death because he knew he was naked immediately and then he does eventually die. But as you look at the first part of the text where it says, um, it says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So the ultimate or, or the end result of sin is death, both spiritually and physically, um, you know, because as Spurgeon pointed out those things there, even though he physically didn't die the moment he ate, he died spiritually. Some of the, 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 the righteous life that he was partaking in with the Lord, it, it ceased immediately. So is that a good enough answer? You want to change it or you have a different thought? No, on I was, yeah, I was just, it was a, it was a loaded question in a sense, just to make us think about it. But, you know, as we talk, you know, we're talking about evangelism and talking to, to lost people, we got to, we probably need to clarify that when we're talking to people that, because just because you trust in Christ, that don't mean you're physically going to live forever. Right. I mean, in, in this body, at least. So if, if they think that that's the, what we're trying to communicate to them, that we'll have victory over death. It's, it's not the, the, just the death of this body, you know, it's, it's, it's about a, a life thereafter, but also, you know, I, I think we can all agree that, you know, when we, when we first believe, when we trust in Christ, when we're born again, that our eternal life really began at that moment. You know, it's not, it's not when we breathe our last here, that eternal, eternal life begins. We're, we're living for eternity. Now we're just trapped in a, in a body of sin and death. Yeah. And, so and there's kind of some deep stuff associated with that. Right. You know, when, when God told Adam in the day that you eat of it, you will die. And I believe that I, although he didn't die physically that day, I began, I think he began to die physically that day is that, you know, uh, two years later, he, he had wrinkles that he didn't have before. And he had ailments that he didn't have before. And, and his body began to decay even though it was 900 years or so of a total life lived, he, he began to die the day physically that he ate of the fruit that he was told not to. But I do believe that he died spiritually that day, that he was immediately disconnected from the spiritual life that he once had with, with God. You know? and, amen. And, you know, I was thinking of one other thing that, that I've, I've mentioned, but when we talk about total depravity, you know, one of the alternatives over the years that they looked at it and Spurgeon pointed out that out was radical corruption. And if you take those words for itself, that, that word totally depraved, um, 
sounds a little more harsh than radical corruption, but it's, it's a, it's a double-edged sword with the good news and the bad news. We're so deceived or hard-headed or asleep in our zombie foe, foe, worldly, fleshly mindset that sometimes total depravity is a little bit harder punch in the face to wake you up that sin is a problem. Uh, but after that is accomplished and you start realizing this, the scenario that's worth thinking about is there's this atheist doctor that has saved a hundred lives. And then there's this Christian man that's cheating on his wife or, you know, if that, if he is a Christian man, but I'm just trying to paint a picture of some person that it goes to church every week and, um, and, and maybe reads his Bible, maybe can talk about the gospel, but is not living right. For that atheist that has sacrificed and saved many lives, and he looks at this Christian, how he's living his life, and you start talking about total depravity, he's trying to say, so you're saying that I'm totally depraved, that I cannot do no good. I just saved this life and I contributed to this in my community and that in my community. So in that part, um, total depravity, there's a, there's an area where total depravity goes sort of too far. So here we are talking to this atheist that's saving lives. And we're trying to tell him that he is infected with a virus and that he morally like Spurgeon um, said has been separated from a part of life. And, and, and what he's, he's bound by is he's, in a sense, trying to earn his salvation. But there's some island of, of goodness or something that he's pulling from. Maybe it's a guilty conscience that he's trying to cover his sin. But the gospel says he don't have to cover his sin. That Christ covers his sin. That God through Christ covers his sin. And that he can come, what all, all ye who are heavy burden, come to me and I will give you rest. And so when we communicate the gospel to this atheist that believes there's no God because he's seen people die that shouldn't have died in his opinion, and he saved some lives and he's being a God unto himself, you know, when we're dealing with that, there's a place where the word total depravity is not helpful for him. But we have to realize we have a sin condition. You know, I guess the simplest way to say it is the way we've explained it is there's a virus and that virus is sin. And there's a, there's a vaccine and that vaccine is Christ. And that's, you know, what we have to communicate. Um, but, but even in that way, that atheist knows that he, he can understand to some degree, if you explain it the right way, that he's totally depraved because he knows he's missing something. He knows that something is not right. But um, I think a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about, you know, it's so dangerous to compare ourselves to others. And, and whether it be in church and we say, well, we're not as bad as those people, or whether it be outside of church from an atheist point of view, because in his view, he's better than such and such Christian. But it's not about if we're better. It's about do we have the, the virus and are we going to accept the cure or are we going to keep denying that we have the virus and walking away, you know, walking around in foolishness? Anybody? That was, that was the key point that you hit on there is, um, you know, he, he would be comparing himself to others. And, you know, by what standard 
when we present the gospel or we, you know, because anybody can say, yeah, I'm better than that guy down the street. I think I think R.C. Sproul did it before where he's like, if you line up people on a stage, you put, you know, the most holy on the right and the most corrupt on the left side of the stage. You know, he, he said, where where would you put uh, the devil? And of course, all the way to the left side, where would you put Jesus? It would be all the way to the right side. Uh, and they say, OK, now, where would you know, where would you put Hitler and, you know, all the way to the left side? He's like, now, where would you put the Apostle Paul? And we have a tendency to move him all the way, you know, kind of close to Jesus, maybe, you know, two thirds of the way. But he's like, no, Paul's over here by Adolf Hitler and, and, and the devil. And it just showed you how far apart and holy Christ is. And it, and I think when we're talking to that atheist, it's it's getting them to understand that it's the comparison. There's no there's no person on earth that you can compare yourself to. It's it's God's law, like Shane was saying, the, the purpose of God's law is is to reveal that sin corruption to you so good point there that you made about about comparison and like this text speaks a lot about one sin everything fell and then one act of righteousness and i was i was trying to compare that the way our perspective is and how small thinking we are is when we walk out at night and we look off and we see a little bitty star and we think Oh, it's just one of many little bitty stars. But any one of those little bitty stars is bigger, most likely, than our planet. You know, if you travel that far to get close to that little bitty star. But we wrestle with sometimes where we see our sin. Oh, it was just a little bitty sin. But that's our perspective. To God, it's... You know, it's bigger. So the same aspect to our perspective, it's just a little bitty star. It's just a little significant. And there's just, you know, a bunch of little bitty stars, you know. But if every one of those stars are bigger than our planet, from God's perspective, and, and that's the thing about our sin, is we have the logic that one little sin is not deserving of an eternity in hell. But... That just shows our limitations of, of wisdom and, you know, insight. So let's look at the last part and we'll wrap it up. It just says um, here in verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. As for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace, grace also reigned through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, let's see what. Let's see. If by Adam's sin all were made sinners, does that mean by Christ's obedience we are all made righteous? We're all given the opportunity to, to become righteous. <laughs> I guess if you choose him as your uh, as your Lord. 
And, um, and I think, and then the one other thing is if the law increases the sin, and this is kind of the loaded question that he's setting them up for the next part. If the law increases the sin and grace is glorified all the more, the, the more sin, <laughs> what did I write here? All the more those who, who sin, um, Oh my God. I don't know what I wrote down, but, but if, if, if the law increases the sin and grace is glorified all the more that, that is sin, are, are we, should, should we sin more? I, I better just take it from the text. I don't know what I wrote there. And more to get more glory for God saving us from all the, <laughs> I've got to spit it out there, but, 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 but that's unclear. Cause, cause that's what he says in six one. he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, by no means. Um, so that's the logic. He, 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 um, ex, he, um, anticipates the, uh, the, 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 the wicked twisting his words, um, to, to say this. Um, uh, but, but what's your thoughts on that? Um, so here we are you know, the law shows our sin and it becomes this black backdrop. So as we, as we talk about the bad news and we realize, you know, we've been diagnosed, we have a problem. We need a, we need a savior. We need Christ. Um, So should we just sit back and just continue to sin? You know, what, what y'all's answer is there? You know, do we sit back and sin or is there a reason why we uh, pursue righteousness? Like Paul said, certainly not, because how should we live in it if we've died to it? You know, um, obviously, you know, as as believers, we've been cured from the penalty of sin, but the eternal pen- penalty of sin, let me say it that way. But sin still here and now has um, consequences. You know, you reap what you sow and, and there's there's still um things that we have to deal with because uh, of sinful choices. Right. Anybody else? Well, Dennis, I've always heard that sin is missing the mark. And I always think of a, a guy shooting his bow and he's hitting it and he's shooting at his targets and you could, you know, where it says the, the law increases, say you say the original set of targets you had were 10 targets, the 10 commandments. And then, you know, some people started adding more that just gives you more chance to miss the mark, which is sin. It's, I know I'm simplifying sin. Um, but then it, it goes once again to I always heard the analogy. If you had two cliffs and there was a valley in between one guy took off and he jumped and he, he barely missed it. The next guy jumps and he don't even come close. He falls down. Jesus is on the other side that has a chance to catch either one of them. And that's kind of where we are um, in my eyes with this. But as far as, um, I guess, the sin abound, to me, goes back going back to that archery range. If, yeah, we missed the mark, but trusting in Jesus, I could almost see Jesus on the other side taking our arrow from the outside that, that circle and putting it in and moving on. And we're going to, as long as we, as targets keep getting put, put up, we're, there's going to be times when we miss the target. We miss the mark. We sin. 
Yeah. Ben oui. Anybody else? Paul, Jeff? I mean, we're clothed in his righteousness. It never was our own. It was made ours by him giving us his righteousness. He, he became our righteousness for us. So. But I, I, I wrote two things here. You know, if, if we're worshiping God, if we're glorifying God, you know, as in this transition, we can glorify him in our sin and we can glorify him in our righteousness. The way we glorify him in our sin is that we realize our sin is unpleasing to him, that it's a virus that is creeping, you know, creating separation from him, that it's something that we can't fix ourselves and that we need him. So when we humbly come to him and say, Lord, I need you to fix my sin problem. I need your solution. You know, we're glorifying God. And the greater the sinner that does that, the more glory it gives, you know, to God. But in the same aspect, now that we have been redeemed and we've been given um, a new life and, and he's put something inside, inside of us, his riches, his righteousness inside of us, he's imputed that into us. Now, from that point, we can glorify him by being more and more like him. So, you know, where are you at in the race? You know, what is the, the most important thing you can do right now to glorify God? Is it to confess your sins and say that you've been trying to cure yourself and you realize that you can't and you need him? to deal with your addiction, a deal with your sin, your lust, your envy, your jealousy, your, your anxiety. Is that the best way for you to glorify the Lord right now in your sin? Or is it maybe that person at work, that person down the street that God's been working on you, that you need to evangelize to them, that you need a disciple to them, that you need to be an example of compassion to them, you know? So whichever way, whether you find life in you from Christ to live out righteousness or whether you find death in you and you realize that you need Christ to fix you, to heal you either way, whether in sin or whether in righteousness, the whole key purpose is to bring glory to God, you know, through that. Amen. Amen. So I think, uh, you know, I just, I, I felt that this morning in my heart. I hope that was a good summation of, of what Paul is, is saying here, because sometimes the language is a little bit, a little bit challenging, but, but he is clearly pivoting these two things about, about righteousness and, um, and sin. And um, so I think we should have a, a sound thinking about, you know, it, you know, as we've talked about our four, four people that I've asked you to kind of begin to think about and pray for one is someone I'm asking you to pray that, that God will point out someone to you that, um, that will, that needs salvation, that, that, that to some degree that you will find someone this year, I'm not going to put as, as high of a standard of that. You're going to lead someone to the Lord. I'm going to let God do that. 
um, and you do that. But I want you to at least pray for someone that needs salvation this year. And I, I'm hoping that in your highways and byways that God puts someone that you say, you know, if that person got saved, that would be awesome. You know, and that you just begin for, for 365 days, take your energy that you would invest in and in reading through the Bible in a year and that you just put that energy into praying for that person. But the other layers of that is what happens if somewhere down the, the, the road of this year, you find someone that has a heart for God, but they have no tools to be discipled. Will you be that tool? Will you connect them with a tool? Will you be a part in 2022 of helping someone? Um, because you may have been in church for a long time and you have all these tools, maybe all these tools, spiritual tools you're not using. Maybe they're not valuable to you because you've moved beyond that. But but are they valuable to someone else that's just getting started? And so I'm praying for you that God would bring someone in your life that 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 you would help at a at an entry level disciple them. And even if you don't physically do that, I, I don't want to belittle prayer because sometimes our flesh says, "Well, all I'm doing is praying for them," and and as if that's not enough. Don't don't underestimate the fact that that you know that prayer is enough sometimes and you know and if if there's a fire burning in you that you feel like you're the one that needs to disciple that person or you're the one that needs to evangelize that person do it but but you don't have to feel this heavy weight of burden that i have to do that it is okay just to pray for for that person but i am praying that there's a name and a face and a real life story that is attached to this and that you're not just praying that someone somewhere would get saved that god actually gives you a name and a face a story to go with that in the same way and then the other two areas is there some people that maybe you've respected over the course of your time that they they they've really made an impact on the kingdom and you've been pleased with what they've said and done or how they've done or how they've ministered but they've fallen away from that i ask you to pray for them to 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 to, to that they get back you know, at a place where they can be extremely effective. And that doesn't mean God may have had a time in their life that they were effective. He may have something different for them now, but just pray for people that have got maybe burned by church or dischanted by church or a pastor or something like that. And they're not giving their all because of a stumbling block that's been put. Pray that that stumbling block is removed and that they come back to their first love and re-engage. And then that last, is uh, I know Shane was talking about to me um, a situation of a friend he knew that um, had just just been in church for a long time and and fell away into some pretty serious sin, and um, so that happens. But let's be a people that pray for those people. Um, so anyone that you know. So I just highlight those four things again. You know that we keep that in the forefront, that we remember those, and that we start praying it. And um, we're just in January, hopefully in February, we can be actually praying a little bit more specific for some real life stories that, that God is, is bringing. And hopefully at the end of the year, we can have a testimony session of um, how with our prayer and our focus on, on, on the challenges of evangelism and discipleship made an impact on some people's situation. So any final thoughts? I'll say one thing real quick, Dennis, and I appreciate you sharing that. Um, 
you know, just to, as a reminder that there's people out there that, that need the Lord, there's people that need to come back and, and so on. I found out um, this week that a guy that previously had worked for me, he was an older guy, um, but he was, he was very difficult to deal with. Like, so in the workplace, um, he would have some pretty harsh conversations with other coworkers and stuff because he was pretty passionate about what he did. And, and when things wasn't hundred percent right, he would just fly off the handle and, and being his manager, I was one that would just kind of help him navigate through that, you know, in a sense that, Hey, calm down. It's going to be all right. Just breathe a little and so on. And I, he would come sit in my office and we would just talk through whatever he was dealing with and help kind of, um, I guess, defuse the situation as much as possible. And, and it was always just like a management control for me just to make sure he wasn't, you know, causing too much headache, you know? So, so it seemed like my whole passion for him was just to try to keep him calm. Well, I found out this week that he passed away. Um, he had moved to out of state to a, another location and he had passed away. Um, and it just, it just saddened me because, I never, I never shared the gospel with him and I don't know where he really was, you know, and it just, it, man, it just, it just weighs on you, you know, when you know somebody like that and, you know, from, a, from, you know, just working with him, you know, I just, it was kind of damage control for, you know, the, the team, but, you know, no telling what he was really dealing with in his, in his life. And um, so it's just, it, it's just a good reminder that man, people out there are struggling and they're hurting and, and they need the Lord, whether or not he knew him or not. I don't know. I can't, I can't say one way or the other, but, um, he, he, he's no longer here. I know that. And, um, that just weighs on me, you know, so, and we all have those people. So I, I say all that just to say, you know, thanks for the reminder that, you know, it's more than just going to work and dealing with people. It's, their souls, there's eternity involved with, with um, the people that we interact with on a daily basis. That's good. Um, when you were saying that, I, I, I just give one more simple hint is, um, is I remember a pastor saying that when he took a, a church or something, he said something that, um, that he would pray because his role as a pastor was to be the shepherd of a flock. And he would pray that God would give him a heart for the, for the sheep, you know, it's that, that body that, that he was going to oversee. And, um, and he was talking about, he, he won't take a, he wouldn't take a pastor's job unless God gave him a heart for those people. And the, the, in the flock that he was leaving, he wouldn't leave them until God, he felt a piece of God had someone for them. And, um, but, but that I would say that with prayer, when you pray, that God will, if you just start praying that God would save some people, um, you'll start to more and more and more see people that need salvation. If you start praying that people are effectively discipled, you'll start more and more and more caring about that. And, and your prayers will get more and more specific and you'll grow. And so we we as people, we see like your story you're saying, and you say, you know, I should have told him about the Lord. I mean, I can tell you like when my grandparents recently died, my grandpa was across the street and I should have once a week just went and had coffee with him. 
and but 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 we use those mistakes to build the foundation for the future. We don't let those mistakes cause us to not move forward, but we move forward because of those mistakes and we move forward and we're better because of those things. And so, like you said, I, I hope that's the way you're processing that, 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 Hey, let's not let that happen again to the best of my ability. Um, but when we pray and God starts to give us, like, I would say it this way, if whatever one you land on the most, maybe it's evangelism, maybe it's starting with young people to disciple them. Maybe it's bringing people back from serious sin, whatever God presses on your heart. As you start to pray, God will put a fire in you that you can't, you can't escape. And you'll start to see doors open and open and open. And so that's what I'm believing for 2022, that as we do the little, he, he does the big, the big lifting. You know? So Mike, can you close us in prayer? Father, I just thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for Dennis and his heart uh, just to uh, disciple others and invite us in that journey. I uh, just pray, Lord, that you would uh, put those people in our lives uh, specifically by name that, um, that need your help, Lord, and, and that you would use us as your hands and your feet uh, to reach them and to help them in their journey of life. Uh, I just love you so much. Thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your um, your rescue plan for our lives and how much you love us and care for us and, and want the best for us. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Hi guys. You too. If y'all need anything, give me a holler. Hi.